Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm still waiting on the Goyer cut. I mean, I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. Uh, how you guys doing? I don't really have, like, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. I, I would gladly pay you Tuesday for a joke inspiration today. I don't. I don't know what any of those, any of that meant. Uh, Popeye. <laughs> what movie are we talking about this week? Because <laughs> we're talking about like a real movie. We are talking. We are talking about Blade Two, which I was not able to solve the mystery of the title. Um, I brought this up last episode, but Blade Two has multiple areas on the internet where it, it is listed as Blade Two, the number two dash Blood Hunt. Yes. Uh, this is how it was on Amazon Prime where I watched Same. it. Same. Uh, like, but then, for like, whatever reason. The, 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 the DVD or movie poster or whatever they have just says Blade Roman numeral 2. Yes. So it's... Uh, but there are instances right. where Blood Hunt is used. Boys, we got another know. mystery on our hands. I was just going to say we could just blame uh, Matt Schultz, who's in this movie. He's Vincent from a couple of the Fast oh, and yeah. Furious movies. Maybe, he, maybe probably... he's the key to all this. <laughs> Blood 2. So Blade I.I., directed by Guillermo del Toro yes. from 2002. It has a 57% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and a 68% <laughs> audience score. And both of those are comparable to the first one. Interesting. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Snipes has said this is his favorite of the three. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Having not seen the third one, but assuming it is bad. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw this out, out there. No, the, the third one is not Wesley Snipes' favorite. <laughs> Going off of the particular glint in Alex's eye whenever Blade Trinity is mentioned, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I get excited about the small things, okay, Britain? <laughs> it's the little things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Blade 2, should we just dive on in with bests and worsts? Yes. And, sure. And brats and worsts. Um, I'll start. I feel like I haven't started in a little while. Um, so, uh, my best thing about this movie is uh, I, w I, I was going to, to pull a Tyler from the Dark Fate Terminator fate episode um dark colon terminator fate um i think that's fitting considering it's another goyer script terminator sure. terminator 3 dark of the fate but i uh and, and say my, my best thing was del toro my worst thing was goyer um my best thing is actually guillermo del toro um i'm a big fan of his mm -hmm. work i think he's just a delightful person to hear interviewed i love i just enjoy him a lot but i also really enjoy his work and i think that um the previous movie, I was kind of surprised um, at how much... Like, I don't know. I think I, I, I had a different perception of what that movie was going to be. And I think Stephen Norrington did a pretty good job with it. And this one, though... It, it, the last one, I feel like, has this kind of 90s, like, kind of ragged punk sensibility to it. Like... It'd be the kind of movie you'd see at your video store where it, where the display has, like, a bunch of red font with, like, a demon or something hovering over it. But this movie, right. like, from the literal, literally the first shot, I was like, 
oh, this is like a movie. <laughs> this is like, there's like a director. And I don't mean that as an insult to Norrington, but just like Guillermo del Toro has such an understanding of movies and there's a real command of like the frame and the camera movement. Um, and I just really, really enjoyed uh, uh, seeing all of that. But also he brought with him, you know, his penchant or penchant for great set design and great practical effects. There's a lot of just icky proboscises and just nasty stuff in the movie. And mm -hmm. all of that's just pure del Toro. Lots of red and yellow and blue. Um, just really uh, wonderfully done. I don't... I should have uh, prepared this in advance to find out who the cinematographer was if he brought uh, Guillermo Navarro with him, who is an often collaborator. But, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I liked seeing all of his sort of style and uh, usual flair. My worst thing I'm going to say, and some of this does actually come back to Del Toro, is uh, this is also fairly nitpicky. I feel like the um, uh, fight scenes are a little frantic like i feel like there's too many quick cuts they're a little choppy for me and i realized watching this movie i feel about quick cuts and fight scenes the way that alex does about sped up footage where it's like i also feel the same way about quick cuts and fight there you go um where it's like scenes. it just kind of takes me out of it a little bit um and and it's not as bad in this movie as it is in in other movies but i felt like there were a few things where i was like you have you know, really gifted performers and like, especially with Donnie Yen, I was like, I just want you to like hold the camera, not to be static, but like, just, just let me watch this play out. There are a few nice shots of like Blade and Nissa running into the same shot in the sewers with Ron Perlman shooting up a bunch of uh, vampires. I almost said zombies because essentially mm -hmm. they are. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, uh, I felt like that was all a little bit frantic for me. Um, and this movie did also bring in, of course, uh, the great, the wonderful, okay, it is not Guillermo Navarro, um, Gabriel Beristain, okay, of the Beristain Bears, uh, this, yeah. this movie did also, <laughs> because Guillermo del Toro made it, that means we got to watch, um, Ron Perlman in a movie, and... This is the first, uh, cinematographer bear to be nominated for, uh, an Academy Award. That's <laughs> it, it, true. He also, oh, wow. He's a Marvel boy. He worked on Agent Carter. He's cinematographer for Black Widow. Um, the Shaggy Dog, that Marvel movie. <laughs> Interesting. That's how we get Tim Allen into the MCU. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> it's, a, it's a superhero. I actually would. I mean, we've already talked about this. Isn't Robert Downey Jr. in that? Is he really? In the Shaggy Dog? I believe so. Let me look it up here. The Shaggy. <laughs> this, is, this is more important than talking about Blade Two right now. Dog. I mean, we need to put a pin. Okay, the, it's come up before in the podcast. I think the writers of this movie are just called the Wibberleys. Can I think it's a family okay. of people with the surname Wibberly? So I guess oh, Robert Downey Jr. is in it as Doctor Kozak, uh, who. So I, sure. I guess that's when they go to Mars. And see, Doctor. Uh, rearrange the letters in that last name and throw in an R, and you've got Stark. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you would also need a T. <laughs> I was Whatever. thinking he had you've a got different name. Throw that around, and you've he got Doctor Zacco. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that's all my silliness. What do you guys have? 
Uh, I can go next. Uh, sure. Uh, my, my best thing is just going to be the entire sewer sequence. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I did agree with Britain in places in terms of the action kind of being quick cutty or a bit overused CG, which we could, we could talk about with that, that one-on-one <laughs> sword fight. Um, mm. But I thought the sewer sequence was just a wonderful blend of an interesting set. We have kind of all of our, our main players actively doing things and not just standing around like I feel like they're doing for a lot of that rave sequence. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, like, when the hordes of, of Reapers actually start attacking them, it's, like, genuinely effective, mm-hmm. I feel. And, there's yeah, there, there's just a lot of really, really neat action. Mm-hmm. Um, just having our main main characters just kind of running down dark hallways. I know they're sewers, but running down the, these these caverns almost and you just see the hordes behind them is, is yeah. like really effective yep. and I think it's a very memorable visual. Um so yeah, that that was easily like my my favorite part of the movie. Um worst part, I think most of the blood pack characters are underused. Yeah. I think Ron Perlman's the only one that gets decent screen time. Like, Britain, you'll have to educate us. Was Donnie in, like, a big thing at this point? Um, I mean, Where was he at in his career? Because I feel like he gets, like, one sword fight, and he's one of the first guys to go, which was really disappointing. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think that he was probably bigger overseas than he was here. He apparently was also one of the fight choreographers for the movie. Um, oh, okay. So I don't know what order that went in. If they hired him as a consult, and they were like, "Hey, do you also want to be in the movie?" Or if it was vice versa. But yeah, I got really excited when he showed up because I was like, "Donnie Yen fighting vampires!" Um, right. So yeah, it, it reminds me of a movie that did a better job having Donnie Yen as essentially a cameo. Triple X: Return of Xander Cage. But that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but go on. Yeah, I, I agree about the blood pack. I will say I think Del Toro's kind of doing the best that he can with, with once again, a, a fairly mediocre script from David Goyer where it's just like we have a set of fairly flat characters because we just need cannon fodder for the Reapers. Yeah. Um. So at least Del Toro gives them kind of an interesting visual look. All, sure. all the the, re- or the blood pack, they all get like very distinct character designs. So yeah. I appreciated that at least, but I don't know. The idea of this whole group that that blade is like having to grapple with while also taking care of the reaper problem i feel like that's a very interesting angle that the movie doesn't deal with enough sure so but yeah i think that's the biggest missed opportunity of the movie for me yeah i agree i feel like with the blood pack you you get this all these intros and then at the end they kind of start picking them off one by one but yeah. At that point, I don't really care that they're getting picked off. I'm more like, oh, okay, well, Donnie Yen's not in the movie anymore. That sucks. And then, right. like, uh, Matt Schultz, he he he's, gets a little more to do, narratively speaking, I guess. Right. Still. Well, I mean, he's he's basically just, like, tough guy that throws around F-bombs. That's yes. He gets to... Re- basically what he does. Uh, yes, he gets to be yet another petty, angry guy. Right. And then we have our token guy who gets infected, but he refuses to tell anyone, and then he takes out his girlfriend, and all that. I was just sure. like, this is paint by numbers. <laughs> so, anyways, yep. that's um, fine. Update, I, I went ahead and looked up Donnie Yen's filmography, and apparently the 
for this and for Highlander Endgame two years earlier, um, these were the those are the first two movies he was involved in, or two American movies he was involved in. Definitely not the first two movies he, yeah. he was involved with. Um, and he was invited as a martial arts choreography choreographer for okay. Endgame, <laughs> um, and uh, as a action choreographer for Blade. And then in both of them, they were like, "Hey, you want to like do a cameo?" Okay, or like a small part. So that's how that happened. That is why he's not more used apparently now highlander endgame um is that where all the highlanders <laughs> finally team up to be yeah. i don't know granos Dude. or something <laughs> i was just gonna say highlander thanos but <laughs> uh, that's fine too um yeah should i go with my best and worst thing um i'm gonna kind of overlap with you Britton. i think my best thing about this movie is the style of the movie um, which is the thing I use a lot and make a different thing every time. Uh, and this time <laughs> I'm going to make it apply to the, uh, both the colors and I think a lot of the set design, um, for this movie, because it's a movie that is far more colorful than it, uh, was required to be. Sure. I think is the best way I could put it. Like, uh, there's, there's constant, um, blues and reds, red hues to the, general movie where they just pull in things where it's like, this could just be a really dark, grimy thing where you can't see anything. Yeah. Um, but instead they find ways to make colors pop. They, they obviously have background lighting and things. There's a lot of cool lighting effects. I, I really, really love the fact that they're fighting the enemies with UV lights. Yeah. And that's like what the ultimate thing is. They have these, these bombs that spray out UV light and it's like, that's a really creative and creatively used idea. Um, is obviously the scene early on where he fights Nissa, 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 um, Nissa, uh, in front of this panel of giant lights, and so that it's like this really cool backdrop to this fight. Um, there's some weird CGI in there, but overall, I, I think that's a cool idea for mm -hmm. a fight. Um, and there's just a lot of great things I think with lighting, with the way the movie looks, and then. As well, I love the fact that this movie just does not seem to have any care for whether the like sets they're going through make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, there is the entire sequence where they're going into... Is it... What is it that they initially walk into when they're trying to hunt the guy down in the middle of the vampire party? Is that like a... It's some big building. I don't know if it's in all supposed to be a church, or is it supposed to be a, a, a school or I, uh, I got nothing for you <laughs> i don't know what it is it's like mansion at points yeah uh, but it's just this giant thing of hallways and there's a big room where all the vampires are partying but under this big room is like this dungeon with like all these spikes and it's this horrifying blood dungeon that all the villains are hiding out at at the beginning of the scene and then eventually i think that connects to the sewers i want to say is that how they get to the sewers, if I'm not mistaken? I don't remember. Maybe. Um, no, the they're... sewers they go to later. There's a little bit of a breather in between. Okay. Okay. But there is something at the bottom of the dungeon where there's, like, more... They go down there. Yes, um, because there, there's, there's a little uh, tracking shot that moves down underneath the yes. floor, and we see all the Reapers kind of looking up and, and being like, oh, all yes. these people up there. Um, Which I thought then... was a really neat visual. Yes. Uh, and then this eventually does just turn into this fight on the uh, rafters of this uh, under-construction church. 
Mm-hmm. It has all these stained glass windows and stuff. None of it, like, there's no point at which it, it tries to establish how we're transitioning from one place to the next. It's just sort of like, this is all one place. It's fine. <laughs> well, I don't know who built this or where it came from. Um, and then there's, like, the sewers. There's this the the whole um, place inside the, like, vampire CDC uh, that <laughs> is connected to the... Uh, secret vampire headquarters behind the wall that then there's an elevator up to another place that has these like armor platings it's all just they just keep just rolling with it (laughs) they don't they just do things and i love it i think it's a lot of fun and and creates this very interesting sort of um chaotic hard to um not hard to follow but it and and dreamy is not really the word i'm looking for either but um it's surreal Surreal, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Or um, maybe, what's what's the, Lovecraftian, oh, I sure. think, in, in a little bit, like where there's just things that happen, you're just like, okay. <laughs> um, and I had never seen a Del Toro movie outside of Pacific Rim. He directed Pacific Rim, right? He did, yeah. just... He did. Okay. And that, and that um, is, in many ways, one of the most Del Toro movies, but also one of the least Del Toro-y movies. Right. It, yeah, and so uh, I am woefully um, unread on Del Toro's filmography, and so uh, th- that was a treat for me to be like, oh, this this yeah. guy really does get visuals. He he has a really creative sense, and uh, you can you can tell they come through the movie his his ideas and his kind of way of directing this. Um, the my my worst thing about it, which is not like a thing I hated, but it's a, there's I I would say several things that I was not amazed by um and this was the one i was least amazed by uh would be probably the entire plot with nissa and the family relationships mm-hmm, the sure. fact that she is the brother of nomak who is our villain and or not the brother the sister sorry words um and then they are the children of damaskinos Yes, vampire was, Palpatine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, and uh, were, I'm glad. I'm glad you you were feeling those vibes <laughs> as well. By the way, the guy who plays uh, Dimaskinos is the same actor that plays um, Baron von Stucker in uh, Age of Ultron. Thomas, Thomas Kretschmann. Yes. Okay. And and he's been in tons of other things. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's huh. the big Marvel connection. <laughs> sure. Um. Yeah, it, I just, I felt like it was kind of obvious what they were doing. It also, <laughs> even though, like, I don't think this is necessarily the movie's fault. I think I was just not fully, like, paying attention. And I did have to stop for a bit about halfway through the movie. Um, I did not <laughs> make the distinction between Damaskinos and uh, Nomak yeah. uh, until, like, this the last third of the movie. And I was like, oh, right, those are two different people. I, um, I had trouble I think just because I had their trouble designs telling are kind apart. of similar. Yeah. Oh, I had trouble telling um, him apart visually. Yeah. And uh, so then at the end, it's like, okay, so he's getting vengeance on his father. And there's a bit where he whispers to Whistler, I think, yeah, about the, what the secret is or whatever. And that's how Whistler helps out with defeating him. I don't know. Um, it's kind of muddy. And it's it's the kind of thing that you would expect a, um, like... Not necessarily low budget, but a l- not, I guess just blockbuster in general. Just like a blockbuster sequel um, where they're just like, I don't know, we, you know, the plot does not have to be that 
yeah. <laughs> uh, dense, or just gonna put in some stuff about family revelations, yada yada yada. Um, because it it doesn't. I don't think it has much emotional impact, really. Um, oh, it has like next to none. <laughs> yeah, and I do, there are things I appreciated about. And I mean, they don't do really a, a um, love interest plotline with her and Blade. Um, I like her final scene. Yeah, uh, they also. I I was half expecting them when she shows up at the beginning and she's got like the helmet on and she's in like the tracksuit. I was half expecting them to try to um, do the thing where she, she pulls off the helmet after like going toe to toe with blade. And then it's like, Oh, she's a woman. <laughs> um, but they don't really try to hide that. They're yeah. just like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a lady who's beaten up on blade and, and he's beaten up on her. And um, so, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's just not, it, very by <laughs> it the is, numbers. Yes. It it is a vehicle for setting up Blade getting to get in the big fight with uh No Macathan, which I think is fun. Yeah. Um it goes on a little long, but it's it's violent and cool. Um again talking back of the style, I think it's it's not the the fight in general fighting in general is not as effective as the first one, mm-hmm. but I think that it's not like a huge step down. No, no. And and I feel like in this case the connective tissue is so much stronger and that overall like yeah. you 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 have a more a richer visual experience at least. Um mm-hmm. yeah, the whole thing just feels a little more sturdy. Uh, yes. Yeah, did you guys feel that Blade was a little once again a little too perfect in this movie? Um there was specifically for me it was when uh, Norman Reedus as Scud, uh, when he reveals that he's a traitor, <laughs> and then he does his whole monologue, and then Blade goes, "You didn't count on I. I was on to you the whole time." And then he blows him up. That all felt a little like manic pixie dream Blade to me. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I just happened. To, I knew all along you were. Ha ha ha! Now you're blown up. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I'm well, also an angel. And then like he sprouts. I don't know. <laughs> Two things on that. Number one, I thought that totally worked. I thought it was awesome because I don't buy that this character would allow Scud to to be around him and stuff. Like, I I feel like he would he would immediately catch on to him being familiar. Um, so that that made sense to me. And then also, that's not like the get out of jail free card. Like, it doesn't immediately start an action scene. It's like mm. he blows up and they immediately take Blade to get tortured. That's true. That's true. Well, well. So I had uh, first of all, Britton. I knew that's exactly what you were going to say because I would agree with you on that. <laughs> where I mostly because that means that Blade faked or like had some mechanism that faked blowing up the thing in the back of uh, Ron Perlman's head right? until he took it out. Um, which brought the question to me of why didn't he just blow Ron Perlman up there? And then like, like Norman Reedus is just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> You're evening the odds better. If you, if you blow up because Ron Blade Perlman. knew he was going to get thrown into a pool of blood <laughs> and he'd get into a cool fight scene. Yeah, that was my, that was my problem, which was worth it because that is a great bit where he, he jumps off as the, as Ron Perlman blows up the tubes of blood and he lands yeah. in the pool and gets out. That is all. He, like he, he rises up like a, the Martin Sheen in apocalypse now. And then he's just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and he moves and every bone in his body starts cracking as he like prepares. And then yeah. he just wails on a bunch of amps. It was great. 
Yeah. How much more effective was 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 Whistler throwing the shades to him? That was in great. This one oh yes, versus the last that one was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was really I feel like really good. That is like the perfect encapsulation of and why I have less of a problem with some of that goofier stuff. I feel like Del Toro has a much better fix on what the tone is supposed to be for this. Yeah, because yeah. I, I do get the sense from the, the first one that they are going. Well, try and keep it grounded, try and keep it kind of realistic, especially compared to, like, Batman and Robin as a superhero movie. But we still want to have a sense of fun, and this is kind of goofy. But that, I don't know, the the balance in this one feels a lot better than the previous one. Because, like, when goofy stuff happens in that first one, it feels a lot more jarring. Whereas in this one... In some ways, it's kind of farcical, but it's it's yes. on purpose. Yeah, and it feels yeah, it feels intentional. And and Alex, have you seen Pacific Rim? Yes. Okay. Because Pacific Rim, I think, is the other of his movies off the top of my head that comes closest to this, where he's like, I'm dedicating myself to making something cool, but also like, I'm gonna put some crazy hair on some of these people, and like, right. I'm, I'm making an anime real. And that movie has the same kind of, like, love of the inherent goofiness of giant mech suits punching monsters. Mm. And, um, and, and and it celebrates that. And that it, it was a similar tone, I think, here where it's like, it's not as big, but it is that same idea of, yeah, but this is kind of silly. But that's that's kind of fun, right? Like, that's kind of the point. <laughs> he throws in the shade. Right. Like, that's, yeah, there you go. And I think that... that the self-awareness makes that actually kind of cool. Whereas if they had played it like it was just awesome, it would have been. Yeah. Um, Which is more of what the first one does. Sure. And who oh boy, Trinity's uh, <laughs> Trinity. Definitely. Um, <laughs> sure. My, my last thought on the Norman Reedus thing, I do want to say the, the effect they use to blow him up is perfect. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's gross and kind of funny. And yeah, uh, over the top, and it's and just great. the the cutaway to Ron Perlman just being covered in blood. <laughs> and doesn't Rita's have some line right before where he looks at the device and he's like, "Oh man," or "What the?" or something like that. Yeah, something, something like, like that. Uh, so good. Yeah, I love that Norman Rita's shows up in this movie as NPC from a Tony Hawk video game. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just I he he's he's just waiting to have his baseball cap so he can turn it sideways completely <laughs> completely. And to be like, yeah, I can fix up your board. And there's all different kind of like, yeah, it's a snake. Oh, that'll be great when you do a 900 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, I like Norman Reedus a lot. I've been playing a lot of Death Stranding recently. And so I just get to hang out with my friend Norman. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoyed him in this movie. I liked seeing baby Norman Reedus. And I mean, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that character. I liked the whole bit with him in the uh, in the van blinding and trying to fight the vampires yes. off it kind of yes. reminded me of um steven merchant and logan when mm-hmm. he opens up the thing and he's like was it beware the light or something and he throws the grenades out yeah ah that's yeah. so good well even better than before that like i feel like this one has just like nice little touches of character mm-hmm. moments i want more but just like yeah. him just chilling in the van like i, I think he's trolling whistler on the, the intercom yeah. or whatever he's like how's how's the weather out there and he's like eating mm-hmm. dunkin donuts or whatever it's like, uh krispy kreme yeah I, I like how he's constantly watching cartoons <laughs> yes yeah that makes me so happy and it also, also be- oh go ahead go ahead 
No, 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 go ahead. I, I feel like you're on point. I'm, I was going to diverge into something else. Oh, oh, don't worry. Mine was much bigger of a divergent. Mine, mine was a, di- <laughs> mine was worthy of the fourth divergent film. It was so divergent. <laughs> so, oh please. my god. God. Please go. I was just going to say Wesley Snipes' dialogue in this, like when he says weird things. Yes. Um, it fits the tone a lot better than that first film. Like we like, also when he, when he throws down the the. Um, UV grenade, and he's like, you do not know who you are effing with! I'm like, this <laughs> okay, great. this works perfect for this movie. Can I, this is can I also perfect. say, we did not actually address his famous line from the last movie in the last podcast, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't believe we did. Um, just the, uh, some uh, fine gentlemen are always <laughs> trying to, to ice skate uphill, whatever, yes. which is, it's just the greatest, like, uh, and I don't know yeah. that he has anything quite to that level in this movie. I, I don't know that I can re- remember everything as much. Um, I feel like there were a couple that stood out to me, but I can't think of them yeah. off the top of There's my head. a really good one where Norm, uh, Norman, where uh, Ron Perlman says, do you blush? And then mm-hmm. before Blade kills him, he says, do you blush? Apparently, yes. that was like taken from like a real uh, exchange that... Wesley Snipes had with someone who was not super cool to him. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so he was like, cool, I'm going to take that and turn you into a guy who looks like a neo-Nazi in this movie. Sure. I'm just wondering, like, that whole scene where uh, Ron Perlman says that and then Blade just starts messing with him. Yeah. I almost feel like that's just Wesley Snipes improv and David Goyer sitting in the corner of, like, bomb in the head. This is genius. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine. God, Ron Perlman is such a fun actor. I really enjoy him. Mm-hmm. Ron Perlman is, is great. I wish he was the, the main villain of this yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, I, I think the designs of Nomak and Dimaskinos are, are interesting, and I think particularly Nomak, I think, is an interesting character. Sure. But Ron Perlman steals the show in terms really? of the antagonists. Yeah. I think he's been in every or most of Del Toro's movies. He's, he's a constant. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously yeah. Hellboy is, is, is the big one, but he's in Pacific well, Rim. Well, fun and, fact, you know. fun fact, the, the actor who plays Nomak is also the, um, main villain in the second Hellboy movie. Right, right. Hmm. Luke Goss. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the second Hellboy. I've never seen the first, so <laughs> there are technically three of them. <laughs> Correct. I uh, mean, <laughs> two of which I'm very interested in seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just Ron Perlman is just so much fun. He is so good at like these pulp genre kind of roles. He's very funny. He has a genuine coolness about him that I don't know. He's just he's great. I like him a lot. Um, the there is the, also a bit where uh, I was going to say Blade um, calls him Adolf. I think. Hey, Which I guess yeah. is like a reference to the the neo Nazi thing, but it just makes me laugh to imagine like Adolf Hitler with like a mutton chops. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I heard that line and first I was like, why, what, ha, what? <laughs> that's not, and and one big rock arm. <laughs> uh, the the thing I was gonna diverge on earlier was to say, audience, when I said Power of Girls, I know what you thought, and I'm here to answer. Alex is Buttercup, Tyler is Blossom, and I'm Bubbles. <laughs> Just, there you yeah. go. We don't need to... Now you all can... Does that th- make Joseph uh, Mojo Jojo? <laughs> I think yes. Joseph is Princess. <laughs> I want to be a Powerpuff Girl! 
no, no. Joseph is Mojo jo- that's, Mojo that's, Joseph. That's harsh. Of course. That's Mojo Joseph is way better. <laughs> I really Mojo Joe it. Joseph, to be clear. Yes, <laughs> Mojo Joe Joseph. Ah. Mojo Joseph Joe Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Blade Two. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I was going to ask if you all felt annoyed by some of the repeat plot elements that happens in this. I feel like structurally it's very similar to the first one. Particularly with the second to third act being Blade gets captured and there's a big family reveal for one of our our protagonists. And then like he's stuck on some device where they just stick him with a bunch of spikes and he's just bleeding profusely. Yeah, I mean it didn't really bother me because of just like how honest these movies are about like we know we know what we're doing <laughs> we're like yeah we we embrace it. It, it it since it didn't seem to like it didn't seem to think of itself as being wildly innovative I was okay with it being fairly you know um, rudimentary I guess um, all right I did appreciate that Nomad didn't pick up a sim or I sword at the end sure sure. That that might have crossed the can, line for me. Can I also say that Blade is wearing those sunglasses through, I believe, the entirety of the final fight, and he's getting punched in the face, and they are just they're just <laughs> hanging in there. Oh, they're unbreakable. <laughs> they're like um those like molds you get for your teeth. You know, they're supposed to fit perfectly on you. Those those are the only Wesley Snipes can wear those glasses. Yes, I I, I was thinking about this while I was watching the movie. This is one of many, many, many films where the villains are just mindless drones to be dispatched. Does that did that bother you guys in this movie? It didn't really bother me, but I wondered about y'all's uh, take. It didn't bother me because I thought the Reapers were terrifying. Yes, sure. it's the similar design, to how I felt. It's similar to how I felt about um, Thanos's army in infinity war sure. at, at the battle of wakanda mm-hmm. and they establish like oh they're killing themselves they're they'll they'll throw themselves they'll, they'll just keep pushing themselves through that force field even if a bunch of them get cut up and destroyed mm-hmm. um i feel like if you're able to add that extra little element to make them interesting then i i i don't really have a problem with them just being disposable sure you know henchmen yeah yeah Cause I think, cause I think you're right. Whenever we would get like a Reaper close up, they would do that horrible like chin split, yes, thing, yes. which is apparently from like Polish folklore, which I think is really interesting. Hmm. Um, their hmm. version of like vampires, when I think it was like the Balkans had the thing that we're more used to. I don't know, but uh, <clears throat> knowing that, like, I guess it's kind of similar to like Walking Dead, where. They're just a bunch of walkers until one has somebody up against a wall. Then it's like, that's the scariest walker on the show, even if they don't look that right. different. Because yeah. I was watching it and thinking about, you know, you have your movies like your Dracula Untold and I Frankenstein and stuff where like, we're just kind of there. There's not a lot of creativity put into it. All the way up to your really good ones like Infinity War, or I recently watched uh, The Two Towers where mm-hmm. the Battle of Helm's Deep is so brilliant. Not necessarily... I mean, the orcs and the Urukai are great creations. Um, but, you know, they're not necessarily layered, interesting characters. But that battle is so fascinating and so emotional because the stakes are so high and we care so much about our characters and they're so overwhelmed by the sheer number of yep. what's happening 
or the number of the right. ar- of soldiers like that's what makes it scary and desperate and impactful um and i think this movie actually fell on the the good side of that divider where it's like we're doing this with some style but also like when you get one close up the reapers are pretty pretty spooky <laughs> and 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 they're also you have so many of them crowding in such a tight space and our heroes are having to right. run through water so they're not like they're more easily trapped like trained to Poussin or something <clears throat> well it also helped that we get that that really great autopsy scene oh sure which is just disgusting yeah but it's great because they like completely cut open the insides of one of the reapers and they're mm-hmm. like the brain isn't functioning but the body will still function just by <laughs> by putting some blood in there and they just <laughs> a little drop of blood and it, it goes wild it's, it's crazy which then is it during the final fight that blade sticks his hand in nomak or some something happens where i forget at some point in the movie blade gets his hand stuck in either nomak or one of the reapers and it's try, and he has to like rip it back out because it's like feeding on his hand it's like a short bit, oh yeah i believe in the middle of the final fight i think so um i can't remember i believe that's supposed to be a setup payoff it's not it doesn't really do much if i recall correctly but it is a yeah. thing I, I did like um when they go into the rave, there's the guy like flaying that person or something who's like their back yeah. is cut open and he's just like flaying at them. And then there's the bit where uh, Tony Curran, he was priest, like the first of the blood pack to get killed. Yeah. When he gets blown apart, like just like a, a segment of his head is on the uh-huh. ground with one of his eyes and he keeps looking around and blinking. That was quite gross to me. Still not as gross as Pearl in the last movie. But pretty gross. True. <laughs> Pearl was a lot on me. And my poor sensitive eye. <laughs> um, how did y'all feel about the retconning with Whistler at the beginning of the film? So, to clarify, yeah. how big of a retcon? Because I, I remember in the last movie, he shoots himself off screen, so we didn't see a body. Yes. But, like, Yes. So what remind me of what of the details of it. Were they just So I guess the idea is that while Blade is going off to have the third act of Blade, <laughs> vampires came in and stole Whistler? Okay. And he turned into a vampire because he didn't die. Yeah. Yes. Because I guess he shot himself wrong or something. Well, I was and confused then... by that too cuz I believe there's like a quick cut in the first one that that's supposed to imply that blade went back to the body afterwards. Cause there's just shot of a hand putting like a, a towel or something mm. over his dead body. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. It seemed very shaky to me, but, but you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Whistler's a lot of fun in the movie. So I, yeah. I think it kind of justified it, even if yeah. it was very flimsy. Um, yeah, and I guess like yeah, they, left, also, they left just it, enough room in the first one that I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I, also, the weird thing about, like, I don't know why Blade thought he could still cure him if he was a mm-hmm. vampire for two years or however long it's supposed to be. Yeah. I was Some a bit like... confused on the logic of that, because, like, when you turn into a vampire, you turn into a vampire. Like, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> so did he not use the... I, did... I was unclear on this. Did Whistler actually turn into a vampire? 
That's that's the thing. I don't know. I think later in the movie they say that he smells too much like a human. And that, like, the vampires say that, and that's why Whistler has to wait outside. Well, that's because Blade cures him at the beginning of the movie. So Blade does actually cure him? Yes. Okay. Because that's why he doesn't disappear, because he, he leaves him in that room, and he's like, those windows are going to open, and the sunlight's going to kill yeah. you if you're s- still a vampire. Is is the cure the one, did he get that from the lady in the last movie, whose name I can't remember? That's the thing. I don't know if it's supposed to be a cure or not. Like, the, the, the there's, like, two lines of dialogue <laughs> about it in the movie, between him and Scud. And it's, like, so quick. It's like, don't think about it. It's fine. Also, I was a bit confused about... So, so remind me. They don't come up with a cure for the Reapers in this, right? They just kill them all. I think. I think they kill them all, but then also they do say they would all die if Nomak is killed, I believe. Okay. Sure. If I'm not mistaken. But I think they're all dead anyway by that point. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of the, the, the details on, on that stuff felt very shaky to me. Sure. Mm. So at least this was a movie where I didn't feel like I was sitting there with nothing else to do except think about these things. <laughs> I, there were other <laughs> and, and, and things going fair, on. Like if you're gonna be flimsy about that stuff, don't don't waste whole scenes on trying to explain it. Yeah. Like they did in some cases in the first one. Like this one's just like, nope, keep moving, gotta keep mm-hmm. keep it going. I yeah, I think this one is shorter than the last one by a few. Probably, I feel like it had a better sense of pace. Yes, yes. <laughs> in that I was not just waiting for another fight. Yeah, and also that the there's a pretty uh, that entire sequence where they're in the weird building that we don't understand. <laughs> um, that's a solid like fifteen, twenty, maybe thirty minutes. Yeah, it feels um, like it's almost a whole act of the movie. Yeah, it's just a big <laughs> chunk. So that by the time you're done with that, we're like, ah, oh, we're we're on our way to the end. And it feels like Question, once the action have we, really have we gets seen going. Seen the actress that plays Nissa? Have we seen her in anything else? Not off the top of my head. I don't think so. I feel like I I tried to figure that out and I could not. Okay, I kind of had a similar situation with her that I did for the actress in the last one where. I couldn't tell how much of my disappointment with the character was the acting or if it was just David Goyer can't write females effectively. Sure. I'm looking her up here. I'm not recognizing any movies in her filmography. Uh, she was in Goal 2, Living the Dream. Excuse me. Okay. And Are there three? apparently she's on an episode of agents of shield well there you go maybe i'm wrong she was in the tv movie inland empire as the character poopy so okay you know are there three of them (laughs) (laughs) okay uh i think i might have actually seen her in an episode of stargate atlantis but i don't remember that episode of stargate atlantis so there you go. No, she's in The Man in the Iron Mask, which is a movie I assume Alex has seen. <laughs> I feel like that is a movie I should have seen twice, but I have not <laughs> seen it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, not not a lot. Um, admittedly, in our previous film, the woman who played Karen, I wasn't super familiar with. I know that his mom was played by Sanaa Lathan, who's great. Um, but I didn't remember. Karen was the character's name, I believe, in the last movie? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, wasn't very I did appreciate that they actually used footage from the last one. Like they show uh, 
Blade's birth again, and then Sana Lathan is is briefly there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I feel like a lot of sequels like this, especially when you don't actually have the the actors back, yeah, in the film, um, I feel like they would just skimp out on that kind of thing. So it was nice that that was there, and no, I, I also. Do, I do appreciate that they they do mention, hey, he he did kill Deacon Frost. We're not forgetting that that happened, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and the fact that the beginning of the movie is about him trying to find Whistler, and it's like, oh, that's a that's a plot line that we thought was tied off, but you've untied it and picked it back up, right? Uh, so that's at least it is a direct follow up, and not like uh, in a way that is used to, I don't know get rid of a character or anything mm-hmm. um well also um how did y'all feel about the the subplot about questioning whistler's allegiance like he's it, it seems like he's disappearing from his post maybe he is working for the vampires mm-hmm. um i liked how how that kind of fed into ultimately scud being the the one who was a turncoat yeah uh-huh. i think i think it works okay since they've got the whole thing of you know he he's a vampire now yeah yeah, that's okay you know especially Mm -hmm. since they didn't try to actually force a thing where i don't know it never seemed like they were actually trying to make us think whistler is a traitor they're just like right oh i don't know Mm." i did like the line where he was like you know they they uh, they did all sorts of stuff to me they fixed me up whatever but they couldn't didn't even bother fixing my leg (laughs) yeah and he's, he just stands up and he's still got the leg brace. I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah, I like Christofferson in these movies. Um, yeah. See, every, really... everything y'all are saying about the, the second movie is like highlights of like, oh, I like this element. I like this element. Oh, boy, when we get to Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was really pleased that Whistler stuck around, that he showed yeah. back up and he was just, oh, oh hey, we got our, our supporting character back. He's yeah. just going to be with us. And, and he is. And he just gets through it. And it's like, okay. Because he has, I think... This movie does more to enhance the kind of chemistry of him and Blade. Yeah. Uh, I think he also plays off Norman Reedus really well. Um, whereas the last one was mostly just, he is used for exposition, and mm. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Whistler is now a canonical comics character. I think he was such a hit from the movies that they started working him in the comics as well. Did he come from, I thought he was already in the comics originally, but I could be wrong. Oh, maybe he was. Okay. Maybe they just like revamped him or something after that. Yeah, vamped him. Ah, um, I have not read any Blade. Have have either of y'all read any comics with Blade in them or Blade comic? Nope. No. I probably have at some sure. point, but not like a Blade centric comic. Gotcha. Um, because I don't think he was I a, know... a huge character until like around the time of the movies. He was just kind of like, yeah, he's in yeah. our universe. And I don't think the comics have ever. I don't think there's ever been, like, an acclaimed Blade Redden. There's probably gotcha. some that are, are fan favorites, but I don't think there is any that are, like, oh, this is this is the thing that, you know, right. you go to if someone's like, hey, I'm a Blade fan, what should I read? Gotcha. Uh, which is why I think Blade is such an interesting choice for a franchise at this point in time. Yeah. Because it's like... But this, a, the, the, like, this Blade point, is well, a very niche kind of character... And, this point and is in 2020, audience. or this point is in 1998? Yes. 1998. Yeah. Gotcha, okay. Oh, wait, which? I thought you were talking about. No, I mean, like, starting this as a franchise and then moving forward, having it start in 1998. Obviously, okay, okay. 2002, all the studios are going, what's the next one we got? Yeah. I see. Um, but I just... 
it it really goes to show you how much how little faith anybody had in the Avengers as a brand at that time. Because <laughs> Marvel Marvel sitting around and they're like, all right, so I don't know if they'd sold off the rights to Blade. Blade is like a Marvel produced movie. Am I wrong? I don't know. The the problem is. Avi Arad is in charge of Marvel Entertainment at this point, I believe. So he's working with all the different studios. I do yeah. believe New Line Cinemas had the rights to Blade at this point. Okay. So uh, Avi Arad is kind of connected stuff. to all of the Marvel movies at this point because he's in charge right. of Marvel Entertainment. So maybe not so much the faith Marvel had in the Avengers, but the faith that everyone else had in the Avengers because they're they're going around and it's like, all right, we got to buy the X Men, we got to get Spider Man, we got to get these movies going, uh, and then it's like, all right, what's left? Um. Your your like superhero team that's supposed to be like the flagship of your comics universe, or uh, this guy hunts vampires. That's cool, right? Can we do that <laughs> instead. We'll, yeah, we'll take him. It's like <laughs> I mean that does make sense from New Line Cinema's perspective because I think sure. at this point they were mostly just doing lower budget films, so this yeah. wouldn't cost as much as the Avengers. Yes, yeah. and you're also the movies are largely looking for, or movies being made at this time are largely looking for who's the next superhero we can turn into a big hit. Right, or it's either we want a superhero, or we want a packaged uh, brand team. So we want either the X Men, the Fantastic Four, or we want like a, someone we can promote. Whereas the Avengers are all like they conflict because they have their normal brands and then also their team brand. And it's like no one was looking for that at the time. They were just like, who who's someone we can sell? Right. Yeah. I also imagine. I think we talked about this in the last episode that after the the failure of superhero movies, namely Batman and Robin, the stakes are a lot lower. If like, well, if Blade yeah. doesn't work out, it's not like we messed up Spider-Man. It's not like we messed yeah. up this right. long history storied beloved character. It's like a lot of people don't even know Blade exists. So, yeah. and it's also a uh, low budget, lower budget movie, and it's R-rated, so you're not expecting it to make, yeah. you know, a billion dollars. <clears throat> it is weird not seeing the actual Marvel logo show up. Sure. In mm-hmm. front of both of these films, I would have thought it would have shown up in front of this film, and Stan Lee doesn't have a cameo in this but one, but no, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, still no they Stan just... Lee cameo. Yeah, I I do like the the blood tinted um, New Line Cinemas logo. I think that's a nice sure. touch. Yeah, IMDb listed that as a crazy credit. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, you which, know what? Very, I am in agreement very, with like, IMDb. That is a crazy credit. <laughs> it's very like you know these credits. They like to have a little fun. Oh, oh, they're, they're <laughs> the they're the funny credits at the office. And did you know that that for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, the Warner Brothers logo, it, it morphs into a bat symbol. It's a crazy <laughs> credit. It's a crazy credit. <laughs> Is it also okay. a crazy credit when he, he flies in front of the moon and makes the bat signal? <laughs> that's that that's credit? like that's like double the crazy credit. <laughs> a truly crazy credit where can is I, director where can David I spend Blair. crazy credits. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that goes back to that Tony Hawk video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, but specifically that's that's only to help with Norman Reedus's baseball cap. Dude, exactly. baseball. Just, you get different variations on that, you can't get anything else. Man, exactly. you're going to get so many crazy credits with the skateboard. <laughs> it's so great how I can put, like, a spray paint Shrek on this hat. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, is is Norman the most misleading uh, actor name? Just, like, in general. Because, like, Redis. Redis is like, okay. But then you've got Norman 
read this. And Norman is like, I think Norman and I think like an accountant. <laughs> I don't yes, think no, he, like... <laughs> that's the thing is whenever I see him, I'm like, that's Norman Reedus. But I don't look at him and think, that's Norman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is my friend Norman. He has a crossbow and kills zombies real good. <laughs> but I think a lot of actors are like that, though. I mean, like, I wouldn't look at Donnie in and go, that's my friend Don. True. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, what if Norm McDonald, like, everyone just <laughs> called him Norman. I'm just like, I don't get it. This is Norman But that makes McDonald. more sense to me. Yeah. This is, and William Farrell. <laughs> Benjamin Stiller, <laughs> Sestifer <laughs> Rogan, and Bob Downey Jr. <laughs> Sestifer. Um, there's a great joke on um, Thirty Rock where Michael Sheen has a recurring role as a character named Wesley Snipes, and Liz is, uh, <laughs> Tina Fey's like, "Wait, what?" He goes, "Okay, I'm just saying. Between the two of us, who should more be named Wesley Snipes?" <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. Good. Not bad. Quite a good. Um, do we want to talk about the CG at all? Because it's horribly dated. Yeah. Well, I, so uh-huh. Del Toro's movies, apart from Pacific Rim, tend to have some kind of clunky CG, even Pan's Labyrinth. And I think a lot of that is just because he's such a practical filmmaker. He uses practical effects so much that he just doesn't think about the digital effects as much. Again, except right. for Pacific Rim, which is built on that. Yeah. So they are clunky. A lot of that is a sign of the times. They are also massively improved from the first movie. Yes. Uh, but, but I, but I, I think, think the the real thing that sticks out for me, I thought I, the vampires getting killed and dissolved was, was fine. I thought fine. for the yeah, most part. I and I, I really appreciated actually talking about the, the colors. Um, they changed it so that like the last one, it was just sort of they dissolve into this like vomit stuff and mm-hmm. ash and kind of just disintegrate yeah, um like that was the the vibe um this one the vampires that get killed explode with like this kind of red orange mm-hmm. um and then the reapers explode with this it's more like a blue um and i thought that was really interesting and i feel I, like you see them dissolve like you see their skeleton and everything a little bit so there's a greater sense of like the decomposition i guess yeah. <clears throat> right yeah, I mean, the, the, the obvious offender, I think, in terms of visual effects is CGI Blade <laughs> jumping around and fighting mm-hmm. the guy. Yes. It, it's it's similar to uh, what, what what they, you know, we would get in 2003 with the, with the Matrix sequels, where it's like, don't do full body doubles that yeah. close. Or Yoda. Or what we would get in, in 2007 with uh, Spider-Man 3. <laughs> don't do full body doubles that close. Um, <laughs> the, well, I think it actually... They hide it fairly well. I mean, it's definitely noticeable watching it now, but, like, the it's either in the the scene with the giant light wall that completely floods everything and makes it yeah. so, like, bright that it's hard to... The, basically, it's either that or it's in a really dark room when they do it, yeah. like when they do it in the church. Um, so it's hard to pick out that it's wrong because of the lighting. You can tell it's wrong because, like, they're not moving in ways that real humans could move. Right. Um, and not just because they're powerful or whatever or fast. Uh, but the, at least it doesn't ha- – it's either – or it's so um, extreme in terms of the lighting setup that you can't really use that as the reason why your your brain is saying it's not real. Um, they, I think they hide it to some extent. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so yeah, I definitely good, like but... it. Was definitely <laughs> forgivable, but yeah, it's it's also it's. 
Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't really have a whole lot more to, to say about it. I, I think it's a... I think it's a slightly better script. And mm-hmm. then Guillermo del Toro just, like, being the filmmaker that he is, elevates the material a lot. Very much. Yeah. And Ron Perlman's there. And Norman Reedus is there. So that's fun. Yeah. Is this your favorite Blade, Alex? Oh, easily. <laughs> <laughs> I like Trinity for uh, different reasons, but we'll get there when we get there. Cool. I don't know. There's a lot of recognizable names in that cast list. That never leads to a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Or scary movie or whatever. Yeah. I really want the big takeaway when you all watch Blade Trinity to be, wow, I feel like I just watched the Ryan Reynolds Variety Hour. Now that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm not against this. That sounds like him with a piano and a bunch of guest stars. <laughs> <laughs> but Come all on, the guest stars are himself. <laughs> right. And Come on, Netflix. You gave Bill Murray his own Christmas special. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what, uh, what grades are y'all doing? Um, I think I'll go with a, a solid B. Yeah. B for, for Blade. Blade. What about you, Tyler? Uh, I'm going to do B minus. Um... Right on that that edge of C plus to B minus, but I think it's a fun it's a fun movie. It's yeah. an entertaining watch. Yeah, um, not rock solid by any means, but uh, no. it's a good time. I'll do B minus as well. This is um, likely going to be the best Blade movie for me. It's probably the lowest of the Del Toro movies that I've seen, but again, that's a completely different metric. <laughs> and yeah, and I think this is one of, if not the only Del Toro movie he didn't write. Or at least co-write, mm. you know. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure that influenced. Uh, Britain, I I want you to to relay the fact that you sent us about about Del Toro's commentary for the movie. Yeah. So apparently, <laughs> that you, that you told us about on the yeah. Um, I, I don't have it right in front of me. Let me see if I can find it. Actually, I want because I, I want to get the quote right. Um, quick, guys, talk about something while I look it up. Uh, Tyler, can you talk about how much you don't like David Goyer? <laughs> um, you can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. Uh, you can look us up on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Um, and also, email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. If you're feeling, uh, you know, just just a little little extra energy. <laughs> really engage with the content, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Michael Jackson was going to have a cameo in this movie, and then he didn't. Fascinating. They're like, he didn't have time or something. Uh, <laughs> okay. Now, maybe uh, you guys will be one of the seven of seven people that found this interesting. Uh, Guillermo del Toro doesn't have many good things to say about screenwriter David S. Goyer and points out some groan-inducing dialogue in the DVD commentary, though he admits that such bluntly expository lines as, now you've got an explosive device stuck to the back of your head, are beautiful in a way. Del Toro also points out several CGI shots that he hates, most notably the final sequence of Blade's duel with Nyssa against the godlike. 
that does sound like Del Toro to be like, that's pretty terrible. But also kind of beautiful in a way. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> then he would like give you the film history of like Cleopatra well, or something. I, I appreciate the almost backhanded compliment nature of, of how he does it, <laughs> as opposed to like, I, I don't know, like a Michael Bay where it's just like, no, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Del Toro is a little too sweet, I think, for that. He strikes yeah. me as the big teddy bear. Of yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't hate David Goyer by any means, but I I feel like he just needs to have a, a collaborator. They like I'm wondering if if they had because I'm guessing he wrote the script for the second one. Then they looked for a director. I yeah. wonder if they had brought Del Toro on earlier and he collaborated with David Goyer from the get go. I wonder how much how different the story would be. Sure. Yeah, there probably would have been more, like, movie theaters in it <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, if you change that set-piece fight from an abandoned church to an abandoned sure. movie theater. That's true. Ooh, that's true. <laughs> and it kicks off. And then, like, somewhere Tarantino's just, like, banging his head against a wall that he's not watching that right now. <laughs> and there's, That there's, would be like... so much fun, Jan! <laughs> Get it! And then... Somebody turns on the projector and is playing, like, Nosferatu or something exactly. in the background sure. while they're fighting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or what was that Christopher Lee movie, like, The Torture uh, the, the torture Cabinet of Dr. Sadism or something? <laughs> Dracula Untold? Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, The Man with the Golden Gun! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> movie. So... Alex, if you could get – what is a way that you can preview Blade Trinity for us and our uninitiated audience? Um, you remember how we've been making fun of David Goyer for his writing and how flat it is and how uninteresting it is and how boring it is and how it's just like you need somebody to come on and collaborate with him? Uh-huh. What if he directed one of these suckers? <laughs> now, did he also write it? Yes. Um, so we're getting the full Goyer vision. I would yeah. just say the perfect preview is to go listen to Pat and Oswald talk about it. Because oh, sure. Sure. It's, it's just amazing. It's incredible. And, and it's, it is I, – I do agree with him. Based on everything that he kind of said, it is a miracle that that movie comes out and it's at least comprehensible. Sure. Like – I don't know. It's it's a mess. It's not it's not good. Just just warning everybody. Blade Trinity. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Not a good movie. And um, yet, that 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 little bit of uh, masochist in me is excited. <laughs> I think it's got a certain charm to it. I'm I'm, I'm sure. curious. I'm I'm very curious. And it, like you said, Britton, y- you mentioned how th- this movie doesn't feel like it's constantly going. Look how cool we are. Yeah, that's all Blade Trinity is. That's all it is. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> when did Blade Trinity come out? I think 2004. Fascinating. Okay. Also, it's got one of the worst versions of Dracula that I have ever seen. Ooh. Interesting. So there you go. Cool. Well, guys, I think that just about does it uh, for Blade 2. You guys ready to head on out of this one? Sure. <laughs> I don't have a recommendation. Sounds good. So. I'm going to go watch Blade Trinity now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dive right in. 
Uh, well, guys, until next week, uh, I've been Britton. I've been Alex. I've been Tyler. And you're having a good night.